The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. God bless you, Ecclesia. This is Pastor Chris, and um, this is one of those unique times in the life of our family. Maybe you remember growing up in your family when something big happened, you had a family meeting, right? You were just hoping the family meeting wasn't about you, uh, that you'd done something really bad, but you got everybody together and you sat down and said, hey, this is what's going on, family, and we gotta, we'd have those sit downs, right? Um, after what happened last week at Santa Fe High School, our church, needs a family meeting. We need to pull together. Now the question is, how do you do that when you're a church that has six services on two campuses? The best thing I could do was come up to our roof and uh, try to take some time to speak to you, to pray with you, and invite you to consider the way that we together are to be a part of the healing that our city and our country needs after what's happened at Santa Fe High School. A lot of great things happen on rooftops. Uh, one of the songs we just sang comes from Psalm 121. The psalmist says, I look up to the, the vast size of the mountains. From where will my help come? In Mark chapter two, we have another beautiful story. Uh, there are these guys going along with their friend and their friend's been crippled his whole life. And they've heard that there's a healer and a huge crowd's assembled around this healer. He's in a local home. And when they get there, they realize the house is packed. There's no way to get in but these guys are determined. I mean, these are the kind of friends you need in a season like this, right? They decide we're getting you to that healer. His name was Jesus. And they went up on the rooftop. And on that rooftop, they said, we're gonna make our way in. Can you imagine? They started to cut a hole in the roof. Can you imagine being one of the people down below and all of a sudden sawdust is falling down on your head and you're like, what's happening up there, right? And you see these four grinning guys, right? Dropping this guy down in front of Jesus. And Jesus heals him in part because of the faith of his friends. That's what we need, Ecclesia. We need a time of healing. We're praying for our friends at Santa Fe High School. And we're saying, God, what do we need to do to cut a hole in the roof and drop them down to you so that they can receive your healing? Because we love that community. We love that city. And for us, it's not just a, a high school that happens to be geographically close to us here in Houston and close to Ecclesia. Uh, it's a high school where we have Ecclesians that work and serve there. Uh, in fact, our worship leader, Paul Pelk, his wife, Meg, is one of those on faculty at Santa Fe High School. Meg's a speech therapist and Meg's a gift in so many ways. She is a beautiful partner for Paul. Um, she has also blessed our church with some beautiful kids. If you get to meet little Maggie, Maggie will run around. She is all curls and sparkles, and she can light up a room. I mean, a big room, like the room at 1100 Elder. And we're grateful uh, that Meg recently, in fact, she was not at school at the day of the shooting uh, because she was on maternity leave. She recently gave birth to Willie, and uh, Willie is a cute little one. And you don't have to, uh, to know Paul that well. I mean, Paul has the voice of Vince Gill, right? And really, like the heart of a servant, which is an unbelievable combination. Now, when Paul Pelk has a baby named Willie, you can imagine, you hope he's got a little bit of redheaded stranger in him, right? So we're pulling, we're pulling not for long that we'd be able to hear little Willie singing in the band at Ecclesia. That would be a gift. We got a beautiful family and they love 
Santa Fe High School. Meg grew up there, graduated there. I wanted you to hear directly from Meg about what that school means to her and about the ways that we as a church could lean in, how we can pray, how we can serve, how we can help in the midst of this tragedy. You're gonna love hearing from our sister, Meg Pelk. I was born and raised here in Santa Fe and um, I went to school K through senior year here. Santa Fe is a typical kind of country, rural town, um, Friday night football, that sort of thing. We would all go to the Red Cap, which is like our weird version of Dairy Queen. Um, pretty small. I think I graduated with 300 people and that's really where the population has landed. I think there's about 300 graduates this year. I have stayed for 11 years because for the most part, there are some students that I just cannot leave. I don't know if they will be okay if I did leave. About one third of our students do not live with their biological parents. They're living with family, maybe grandparents, family friends, or they're in foster care. And that shows up in their day-to-day -day lives. Most of them are on, are on free and reduced lunch. We have a program through a local church that's called Backpack Buddies to where we send food home for the weekends because we're not sure if those students would have food at their homes. So home is a negative place, school is a negative place, and in my mind, if they just had one person, one positive person that's there giving them love, encouragement, just spending some time with them, I think it would really make a huge difference in that child's life and hopefully avoid situations like this. I just think we should love on as many kids as we can. You know, we don't know what's happening in that child's life. So just love on as many kids if you, as you can. If it's at your child's school, go and ask what you can do. Go and ask, hey, is there a kid that I can bring lunch to and spend 45 minutes of a lunch that that student wouldn't normally have a parent come up to school or be able to eat a Happy Meal with an adult? I think that if we could do that once a month, once a year, it's such a minute little piece of our time, but it could make a huge difference in a child's life. So Ecclesia, I know we're gonna lean in with Meg Pelk and the whole Santa Fe family. I'm grateful for her wisdom and insight. As we journey together, we're also trying to figure out, before we figure out what's our big response in the world, many of us are trying to figure out what's our small response with our kids, our family. Some of us have two-year-olds, four-year-olds. We got teenagers that are in high school. How do we talk to them about what's happened? Even for those of us with adult children, we're trying to figure out this is so hard to grieve well together and to talk about. Uh, in our church community, we have a sister that has walked through this before. Our sister Deirdre is on faculty at Rice University. Um, she was at Virginia Tech uh, in the shooting that happened several years ago there. It was a tragic shooting, very similar to what's happened at Santa Fe High School. And as I got to pray with Deirdre this weekend at our service, and I invite you to pray for her as well. You can imagine this experience has unearthed all kinds of trauma for her. I realized that Deirdre's experience brought some collective wisdom to our community. I wanted you to hear from her about how we could grieve well, how we walk well with victims, what that feels like. And as you might imagine, this isn't a short journey, it's a long journey. So how do we do that well together? I'm grateful for Deirdre and I want you to hear directly from her. 
On April 16th of 2007, I was a student at Virginia Tech. That day, a shooter came onto our campus and took 32 lives. I was in the building right next door, so it was a very uneasy time. We were on lockdown for several hours. I had just become a new Christian, and I was leading a Bible study. We just came together to, for one, make sure that we were all okay. But the next part was to reach out to our campus. We knew that in moments like these, people seek answers. And we knew that a lot of the answers were in Jesus. We really learned that the trauma and the pain and the healing, it's not a one-size-fits-all. And it's also not a linear path. That it wasn't, I feel good today, so I'm gonna feel good tomorrow. I might feel good today, but tomorrow might be a different story. And just knowing that everyone's on a different pathway in the healing process and being willing to own your healing process and just take ownership of that. I was scared. I was sitting in a meeting and I felt uncomfortable having my back towards the door. And I felt uneasy and sick to my stomach for most of the day. I just knew that God didn't bring my pain to me, but that my pain was meant to help others walk through similar pains. I was able to just sit down and talk with people and answer all those questions that, what happens next? Or what's tomorrow gonna be like? Or what's this gonna be like a year from now? Or how long is this going to hurt? These are all normal questions. You can ask a professional, but sometimes it's different when you get to ask someone that has that firsthand experience that's similar to yours. And so for the most part, I just sat with some students and talked. And we mostly played Uno and Clue. But in that intermix, there were those questions, those conversations that I knew were going to help them process what healing looked like for them to help them know what their journey might look like. So Ecclesia, thank you. Continue to pray for Deirdre. Um, my prayer is that our brothers and sisters at Santa Fe High School uh, would also do what Deirdre's done. They would lean into Christian community. Deirdre's a part of a small group. Uh, she's walking with brothers and sisters in faith. And so when things get hard, I'm grateful that she has Christian brothers and sisters that will walk with her. We desperately need the same. And many of you are wondering, all right, Pastor, you said you were gonna talk about this. How's this gonna go? And the first thing I wanna just tell you is please re relax. Um, for many of us, when these things come up, we start to not only grieve, we get tense, because so many of us have our own strong views about how uh, we think things need to change. And um, what I've learned is that this cycle is not just a cycle of violence. There's clearly a cycle of violence. It's happening over and over and over again. And all of us are clear, right? All of us. This has to stop. It has to stop. And we have to lean in together and make that happen. Now, the reality is that there really are two kinds of people in our country. There are people uh, that when they are around guns and firearms, they feel safe. It actually makes them feel safe. They feel like uh, because there is some kind of protection around them, they feel safe in the world. Now, there is a whole nother group of people, and I think it's split pretty evenly, that say having firearms in my presence, in the building, around me, it, it makes me scared. I'm fearful for my life. It creates, it doesn't create security, it creates fear. And as best as I can tell from walking through it, nobody has been able to convince anybody on either side that their viewpoint is right. And so Ecclesia, I just want to acknowledge today, there are many of you here that feel really comfortable and safe when there are firearms around. 
and there are many of you here that feel really scared in the presence of any kind of weapons. And neither of these is right or wrong. What we have to do together is acknowledge that there are some differences, but that together we've got to seek some middle ground. We've got to seek together some wisdom. And so today, I wanna to invite you to join me and let's focus on that. Will you be willing to say, let's work to find that middle ground so that together we can come up with some really basic solutions, right? We can come up with some solutions that just say, hey, we all agree that firearms ought to always be secured. We're gonna talk more about that later in the sermon, but let's just agree, all firearms should be secured away from children, away from teenagers, away from people that don't know how to use those firearms. Let's just agree, they should all be secured. And let's agree that there ought to be, just like there is with everything else. I don't know if you remember what it was like to travel. I started traveling. I, I didn't travel at all growing up in Texas. My dad was a pastor, we were broke. Our biggest vacation, right, was, uh, was to Arkansas. We went to see the Passion Play. And so all of a sudden, I was in my 20s, and uh, it was a different world, right? You could buy a plane ticket to go places, and I was desperate to travel places. But any of you that traveled in your early 20s, like right out of college, remember what it was like to travel. You could fly to an airport, you'd land someplace, and then you'd, we didn't have Uber. You'd have to take a bus, right? Because until you were what age could you rent a car? 25, right? I asked a friend recently who's in the car rental industry, I asked him like, why do you have to be 25? And they just said like, hey, when you're in your early 20s, people just don't think about consequences. And it's just, insurance is too high. It's too much of a risk. So if it's too much of a risk to rent a car, maybe there ought to be a, a legal age limit for when you can buy a firearm. 18, 21, 25, let's figure it out, but let's agree. We need to have some common sense and we need to work through this together. And then together, this is what I want you to hear for us as a community. One of the things that the church has to do is that we have to be a safe place to talk about mental illness, we have to be a safe place where we can remove the stigma. One of the reasons there's at least some uh, barrier for people to seek treatment because there's a stigma around mental illness. One of the things you're gonna hear from me over the coming year are multiple sermons. We're gonna be talking specifically about mental illness and about treatment. I'm gonna be inviting you to invite family members and friends and people that may have those particular struggles without any stigma at all to seek help. It's one of the things we can do and we can agree together. We have an Ecclesian who serves on the Texas Board of Education. And I can tell you that in the coming months, they're gonna be bringing some legislation about how to bring better mental health services to our kids in public schools. I don't talk to you a lot about legislation, but I'm gonna be talking to you about this because I believe it's really important. Most mental health issues arise in young people before the time they're 14. And if our public schools can provide the right services to our kids, we might be able to prevent future tragedies. But I also need to tell you, Ecclesia, what you already know, that kids don't raise themselves, and we live in a broken world with broken families. And what you already know is that we have a crisis when it comes to children in our city, in our county, in our state, and in our nation. And in Houston, Texas, the reality that there are so many kids in the foster system that are waiting for a family. It's a problem and the church needs to respond. As we talk to teachers and faculty at Santa Fe, what we hear is this was a school filled with kids that are by definition at risk. They're being raised by one parent or no parents. 
they desperately need public assistance to be able to provide food and basic necessities. And so we wanna invite our whole church into the rhythms of Ecclesia, and we're gonna slightly revise what we've called our rhythms. Many of you know them, they're important. One of them is that we would be a people that serve others. And we're gonna just add a small amendment to that rhythm. The rhythms are things that define Ecclesians that we say all Ecclesians will do these things. And we've said all Ecclesians will serve others. And what I wanna invite you to do is to say, as we serve others, all of us have to commit to serve at-risk kids in our city. You can do it through the foster care system. Some of you can adopt. We have fabulous ministries connected to Ecclesia. Ministries like Youth Reach Houston. Our brother, Kurt Williams, and his wife, Shelley, have led this ministry for decades. And they bring in young boys that often feel disillusioned and alone. They fit the profile so many times of kids that would commit violent acts. And yet they find a family, they find safety, they find beauty. I wanna invite you to connect with Big Brothers Big Sisters. They're a partner right here next door at Ecclesia now. They built a new building just across the railroad tracks from us. And I can't help but wonder, Ecclesia, if this young man and other young men in a similar place, would they end up committing a violent act if they had a mentor? I look at my little brother, Jeremiah. His life's not perfect. He's a kid that many would say is at risk. But the time I get to spend with Jeremiah invites him into a relationship, both with an adult and ultimately with God as I get to walk with him. And I think every kid in Houston ought to have that opportunity. The reality is right now, Big Brothers Big Sisters has over a thousand boys on the list that have raised their hand and said, I wanna be mentored. And they're waiting for a mentor to step forward. I desperately pray that the next kid that's contemplating a challenging or difficult act would have a mentor, would have a friend that tells him that the world is safe. This week, I've been reading a book written by a prison psychiatrist named James Gilligan. He's an expert in particularly this kind of violence. And this is what he says. He says, I have yet to see a serious act of violence that was not provoked by the experience of feeling shamed, humiliated, disrespected, or ridiculed. I wanted to share a short clip from James Gilligan in this that may set up for us our role and the ways we can respond particularly to disciple, love, and embrace these young men across our city and the country. The main psychological underlying cause of violence is feelings of shame and humiliation. And I'm using shame as a kind of a generic word, like we use the word flower. Mm -hmm. uh, but you know, there are lots of flowers, roses and daffodils and so on. Shame comes in many flavors, feelings of being inadequate, inferior, uh, of being insulted and disrespected, of being rejected, of being treated as uh, uh, inadequate or un unimportant or insignificant and so forth and so on. The language that runs through all of these manifestos, that runs through the 141-page manifesto that Elliot Roger left and all these other uh, statements, it's the feeling of shame and humiliation that, in all its synonyms, uh, is the underlying factor. And uh, that's why um, I, I've been interested in kind of translating uh, common moral statements into psychological descriptive statements. And you know, we're all familiar with the old moral statement, love your neighbor as yourself. What I would say is that, in fact, that's a psychological description of what we already do. P 
people do love their neighbors exactly as themselves, whether they want to or not, or are aware of it or not. Meaning that when I see somebody who treats other people with disrespect and with anger and rejects them, that's a sign that the person himself lacks self-respect. So Ecclesia, James Gilligan is uh, a leading psychiatrist at uh, previously at Harvard Med School, now at New York University Med School. And what he says, I don't know that he's a believer, but what he says these young men desperately need is an opportunity to deal with their shame and to be taught how to love, how to love themselves and how to love others. Don't you wish that there was an institution established in the United States and across the globe that sole purpose was to remove shame and teach people how to love? Of course there is, it's the church. And so what we get to be a part of telling young men and women across our city and across our country is that they're made in the image of God, that they're loved by God. And I believe that if kids know that they're really loved by God and loved by a community of people, that when they experience rejection from a young teenage girl, when they experience rejection by the ridicule of friends at school, when they experience rejection from family and parents and friends, when things don't go their way, if they have the opportunity to know a living God, it changes their life. And so what should we do, Ecclesia? We should love young people at risk. Now, the reality is these kids may not live exactly in your neighborhood. You may have to partner with an organization to find the kid that you need to mentor. But I believe it's time that our whole church, not just a few of us, we got a lot of ministries that just a few of us belong to. A few of you come and serve with the homeless. I'm grateful that you do. It's an important ministry. And we haven't said that everybody in our church needs to do that ministry, but I am saying to you today, I believe every Ecclesian needs to lean in in the life of a young person at risk. We need to love them. We need to teach them that they're loved unconditionally by God and that God has borne their shame. C.S. Lewis tells us that kids are not a distraction from the most important work, right? They are, we learned in a series that we did last year, the most important work. And we ought to put aside the other things that we're so occupied by and spend time with our kids. Again, take them to an Astros game, become a mentor, serve in one of these ministries. Hebrews 12 tells us this. So since we're surrounded by all those who have gone before, an enormous cloud of witnesses, let us drop every extra weight. And that's what I wanna tell you, all the things that distract you and every sin that clings to us and slackens our pace and let us run with endurance the long race set before us. Now stay focused on whom? on Jesus, who designed and perfected our faith. He endured the cross and ignored the shame of that death because he focused on the joy that was set before him. Ecclesia, we're a part of that joy. He has borne your shame. And he's borne the shame of every young person, every confused young person in our city and our country. We gotta find common ground. I wanna invite you to do that. So Ecclesia, in parting, there's one last thing I'd like to ask you to do. I told you at the beginning of the sermon that I think all of us can agree that whether you're comfortable around guns or you're not comfortable around guns, that any gun that you own, you, your family, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, any gun you own, whether you have one firearm or a hundred, that it should be secured. That kids, whether they're toddlers or teenagers, should not have access to those guns. They're really simple ways. They're trigger locks, they're gun safes. In fact, our church would be willing. We'd be willing to, if you don't have the money, we'd find a way to buy you a trigger lock. But what we wanna to say together is that I believe every gun, every firearm in our city should be secured. I wanna make you today the ambassador for that movement. 
I want to invite you to use social media. You could use your next door app in your neighborhood. And what we're going to invite people to do is make a simple pledge that just says, I commit to secure my weapons or any weapons I'll own in the future. It's really simple. On Twitter and on Facebook, you can hashtag Ecclesia Houston. You can hashtag secured. And if you do that, I'm going to work on some prizes. I'm going to get the Astros to donate some things. We're going to donate Astros tickets. We'll bring you to games, some really cool autographs and keepsakes. What we want to say is that we are committed to see every firearm in this city secured. And we're going to be ambassadors and representatives for that movement. It'll make our kids safer. It might prevent the next big tragedy. And so we think that's worthwhile. I want to take a moment to pray with you. And then we're going to share a little bit more about how we can do that together as a church. Dear God, I thank you that we, like our sister Deirdre, like our sister Meg, like every brother and sister, every young person, every teacher at Santa Fe High School, that we have the opportunity when we go through difficulties to lean in to your love and wisdom, that you promise never to leave us or forsake us, and that means you're with us in the hardest times. And we're grateful that you give us Christian community that doesn't run away from us when things get hard. And so God, we wanna be the kind of church that leans in at Santa Fe High School. We're grateful for Ecclesians that have been serving there this week. We're grateful for the ways we're gonna be able to serve those students and teachers over the coming weeks and months and years because it's gonna be a long journey to healing. And we pray, God, that you would speak to us in this season about how we can prevent future tragedies, how we can keep our kids safe, how we can envision the kingdom of God where you tell us in Isaiah that a day will come that weapons will be made into garden tools. And God, we pray that that reality would be so even now, even in Houston, Texas. We pray this in your name, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Ecclesia on the West Side, I want to tell you I am so grateful for the amazing pastors and staff that we have that serve us at Ecclesia downtown and at Ecclesia on the West Side. I want to invite our dear brother Titus now to lead us with a few thoughts and prayers as he guides us towards communion and our response together as a church family. So I was 11 when a man named Rod Farthing moved to my hometown in southern Missouri and became my preacher. And I had a good home life, um, but Rod entered into my life at just a really important time, kind of at that age where uh, your parents' voice is a little softer and other people's voices are a little louder. And he just stepped into my life completely, um, showed me unbelievable care, um, made me feel important, was exceedingly patient with me, which is... Uh, essential at that time of a young person's life. But he also just cast a vision for my future, started talking to me about what my life could look like in 10, 15, 20 years. And his arrival in my hometown, his arrival in my life was a complete game changer. I mean, I can honestly tell you that if it were not for him, uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be who I am. I just wouldn't be who I am. And I'm sure that many of you have those people that you can kind of rewind your life story and realize, hey, at a, at a really crucial juncture, uh, this person stepped into my life um, and led me forward. I think what we want you to walk away with today is a commitment to be a rod for somebody, to, to get up close um, to a kid 
that may or may not have um, the best situation and begin to speak into their life and be patient with them and cast a vision for their life that's helpful and healthy and meaningful uh, for their future. How do we do that? I mean, Chris outlined a few really simple things. I'm just so grateful that we're even having this conversation, uh, which is one that can cause a lot of tension, can cause a lot of anxiety, can cause a lot of tough conversations, but the, the fact that we're having it is so important. And he mentioned three things that I think we can all rally around. The first is just ripping the insulation uh, away from this shameful attitude that we so often have in communities of faith about mental health. Um, we need to be able to have honest conversations with each other, with professionals, um, to, to be able to understand that a lot of young people are in a place where they just need some help. They just need some help, and we need to be able to have those conversations. Next weekend at our downtown campus, a guy named Jamie Twarkowski, um, who started an organization that deals with uh, teenagers that are struggling with mental health and depression, suicide prevention. He'll be speaking at all of our gatherings downtown next weekend. It would be awesome if you went down on Saturday night or Sunday night or caught the podcast um, around that content. That's a conversation we are going to continue to have, uh, but that'll be a great start, and that happens next weekend. The second thing um, that Chris mentioned is just this idea of getting involved in the life of an at-risk youth. Um, the fact that there are a thousand young men who have been identified as at risk and big brothers and big sisters is saying, we just need some mentors. That is a bell that the church should answer. And we're on the hook for that. Um, there are a lot of great organizations. In fact, we were already planning this summer to introduce you to some local partners out on this side of, the uh, of town. One of them is Family Point Resources, which is a little west of here, uh, doing incredible work with young people after school programs, at-risk youth. It's beautiful, beautiful work. Uh, their executive director is going to be here in July to speak to us. You see the other organizations that Chris mentioned, and there are many others. You've heard of Project 88, and there'll be some other guests that we have in July that are doing the same kind of work. It's, it's time for us to get our hands dirty and find um, an organization that we can link arms with and, and, and be involved in the life of a student uh, and be that, be that mentor and that voice for someone. And then the other thing I wanna remind you of, and this is just, again, just something that all of us can get behind, is the idea that if you're a gun owner, that you would just be a really responsible gun owner and that you would secure your weapons, just making sure that they stay out of the hands of people that shouldn't have their hands on them. And so through social media and these hashtags, I want to encourage you to just be an ambassador for that really common sense step. And we're not endorsing any particular way to do that, but we are saying, hey, if, if you own a gun, um, it is right and good um, and makes sense that you would just make sure those are secured and that you would be a voice of reason uh, for your friends and your family members and those in your neighborhood that they would commit to do the same thing. 
Now here's the deal. Uh, we all live on the same planet. And we know that a lot of times when you step into these spaces, there's a lot of all caps and exclamation points that can get thrown around, right? But as the church, as followers of Jesus, we have an opportunity to lead in a different way. It is easy. It is really easy to have an opinion. And it's really easy to broadcast that opinion. It's also really easy, and this might even be more dangerous, it's also really easy to grow numb. When, when things like this continue to happen over and over again, it is really easy to just ignore it, to like turn it all off. We are not made, we are not wired to absorb this kind of trauma. And so it's easy to just shut her down. So it's easy to have an opinion. It's easy to grow numb. What's really hard, but what I think you and I are being called to step into is to help solve the problem. And three suggestions today that we just outlined are our step. And that's harder. But I think that's what we're being called um, to do. So would you commit to do the hard thing and exist in the tension that we exist in and as a church lead the way forward to do our part um, to prevent these kinds of things from happening um, again? It's going to take unity. It's going to take us bonding together. And fortunately for us, like the church is just set up to foster that. We gather together in unity every week, just like we're doing today. And Jesus even saw fit to remind us of that unity that we're called to by giving us a meal of remembrance. That we would gather around this table each and every week and remember Christ's broken body and remember his spilled blood that removes our shame and removes our sin and gives us this great hope that we now have to share with those around us. And so as we come to this time of unity, communion with union, with unity, as we come to that today, uh, I'm going to lead us in this prayer as our celebrant, uh, and you can respond as the people. Jesus, you have made us to be free. You have made us to serve others. You have made us to love. You provide that we may be generous. You forgive time and again. You offer light for our path. You are the God who saves. Lord, save us from ourselves. In your great mercy, restore and heal us and grant us your peace. If you're helping to serve communion, you can come on up. Here at Ecclesia, we celebrate communion uh, by intinction. That means when you come up in a second, you'll be able to, to tear off a piece of the bread and dip it into the cup. The middle cup, 
uh, at each station is filled with juice. On the outsides, uh, the cups are filled with wine. Um, there may be a couple of other ways that you can respond during this time. In the back of the room, uh, we'll have faithful brothers and sisters that would love uh, to pray with you, whether it's just something stirring in your heart related to what we've talked about today, or maybe you walked in with a completely different burden and just need somebody to talk to uh, and pray with. Uh, we're here for you and would love to, to share in that time together in the back of the space. Also, um, we have a covenant table uh, here on my right. And if this seems like the kind of community that you'd love to be a part of, to join with as we seek to live out uh, our mission and the gospel and our community, even when it's hard to do that, uh, we'd love to talk to you about that. You can fill out a card and begin that conversation. Uh, and I neglected to mention uh, in the back of the room, we also have a gluten and dairy-free um, communion station, if that's helpful for your health. So we come at this time in unity, and we come uh, to this time with great celebration because, what of Je- what, because of what Jesus has done. But let's commune now together. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.